Welcome in. It is a Tuesday. It's time now for True Crime Tuesday, and it's a, it's the day after Christmas, of all things. So we're going to change things up a little bit. And of course, as I said, it's a True Crime Tuesday. We want to wish you a happy Kwanzaa, happy Boxing Day, depending on where you are. Happy Kwanzaa to our African-American friends. Happy Boxing Day to those of you in Canada and in the UK. And a happy Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, we bring in our co-host for the day, the co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. Bruiser, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic, and I want to wish happy holidays to all of our listeners, too, and I hope they had a wonderful, if you celebrate Christmas, had a wonderful Christmas. If you celebrate some other holiday, I hope it was beneficial and helpful and got to spend time with family. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started, I want to dedicate today's show to Ian Punnett. Uh, the deacon himself who passed away before Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, he had a uh, had an illness uh, and and passed away. It wasn't one of those things where we, we thought he, he would go from that illness. Um, I, I got to say, you know, I, I said thank you to him a million times, Bruiser. He's a good friend, good mentor. Um, I, I should have said it a million and one, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, always, there's always where you think you could send more. Yeah. You always but as think, long as you said something, that's what's important. Oh, definitely. But, but he was just, you want to talk about grace on earth, a guy who is just uh, salt of the earth, a, a genuinely good human being who was a master at his craft. That was Ian Punnett and, yeah. and just a, a wonderful human being, um, I had the good fortune of of being put in the slot of being able to engineer for him on Saturday nights, uh, and it was one of those things where Andrew Lee, the late Andrew Lee of KTLK, who was program director of KTLK at the time, came to me and said, "Ian Punnett is in the processing of uh, in the process of moving uh, from Minneapolis to Arizona." It was at a time where he was. He was also fighting tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, and he doesn't know whether he wants to continue on Coast to Coast AM or not, but he's he's going to kind of ride this thing out a little bit. He's going to go for his teaching degree out at Arizona State University. But he's going to kind of hang in there, do Coast to Coast AM. He's given up his ISDN line at his home, and he's going to broadcast from Clear Channel, Minneapolis. Okay. So that the, hey, that yeah, I'll come in here and sit under the learning tree and run the ISDN line and help him with whatever he needs. Yeah. So I would sit there. I'd get paid to sit there and watch him do the show, and I would volunteer to help him out with whatever he needed as a local producer. Now, keep in mind... When you sit there, he's got people in his ear from L.A. that are helping him produce the show. They're telling him what's going on, who he's got coming up. They're giving him time cues and all this other thing. I didn't have to do any of that, really. Mm -hmm. But if he'd say, hey, Tim, come walk down the hall. I'm, I'm going to go grab, you know, cup of tea, cup of coffee, candy bar, whatever. We would sit and talk between breaks or you know, I keep him company or, you know, stuff he didn't have to do. You know, I'm just a schlub in the control room. I could have took a nap while he was doing his, his work. I didn't have to, I didn't have to tune in at all to the show. Right. But the work he was doing was so fascinating just to sit and watch the way he did interviews. Ian would sit, if he had an author on, 
he'd have the book in front of him. He had a post-it note in every chapter of questions that he wanted to ask about that particular chapter. Yes, folks, he read the book, covered well, cover. Yeah. And he which had, you do, which, which I do. We got to let our listeners know you do. Did now? Did you get that from him? Yes, I got it from him. I got it from him, and and I would ask him questions about his interview style. I'd ask him, and he had to have been irritated with me. He he took it in, in good grace, and and I'd ask him. I, questions. You know what I found out about guys like that? They're not irritated because I'm becoming a guy like that, and I'm sure you are too. Mm -hmm. They're not irritated because I'm, it no, shows I'm, that yeah. that the industry you care so much about and you love so much for that there's a future for it. So that's probably what he thought is here's this kid bugging me. <laughs> I'm not, I call you a kid, but you know what I mean? Like right, right. here he is bugging me, but at least I know the right stuff's being passed down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd ask him questions on breaks about what it was that fascinated him about the people that he talked to. And why he picked, because he picked the subjects for Coast to Coast that he brought to Coast to Coast AM. It wasn't a producer that picked those subjects for him. He picked them and brought them to Coast to Coast AM. Oh, cool. So I'd ask him what it is, who qualifies for him to bring them to a national audience. So, and a lot of times it was just his own curiosities. And it was things that he was particularly turned on about that he wanted to feature on a national spotlight because he knew he had millions of people. And so he would bring them and feature them to a national audience. And he knew he was going to spend a lot of time with these people and with their works. And he cared about their works just as much as they did. Yeah. So he wanted to put that time in with them and treat their work with as much passion as they did. And give them the proper respect, which is amazing. And, and, and that's I, why you had so many returning guests, too. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be amazed, too, that the, the callers that, that called in, how much love and respect he had for the callers that called in on a regular basis to, to Coast to Coast AM. And how much he loved hearing from them. And the amount of love and respect he had for the people in his life. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, he truly was, I, that's the only way I could put it, is he was grace on earth. He just, he went through this life, even though he, he might have had his own trials and tribulations, much like every human does, you never saw it. He never wore it on his face. He never complained. He floated through life. He was amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so Godspeed, Ian. I tell you, Deacon, if there's a if there's a, a place for you to get royalty on the other side, I think they've crowned you already. So, <laughs> I, I truly do believe that. I truly do believe that. So, so uh, rest in power, my friend. I, I hope to uh, see you on the other side and and be one of the first to shake your hand. So. And and uh, greet you. So today yeah. today we're doing something a little different. We're gonna do. I know it's true crime Tuesday. It may be a little grisly for after the holiday here, Bruiser. We're gonna do Christmas murders. Okay, well, murder doesn't take a vacation. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people when they get together with relatives over the holiday, the first thing they want to do is murder their relatives. Oh, <laughs> my wife has a coworker, and um, 
we're, we didn't see any family over the holidays. Just we, we couldn't afford it. We did the the New Orleans trip with the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so we couldn't do anything, but, and, and she was kind of bumming about it, you know, cause it's our kids. And, um, her coworker goes, well, I have 15 people staying at my house for the next two weeks. No. <laughs> he goes, if, if we don't murder one another, and, and that's why I laugh when you say we're doing the Christmas murders. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear the, you know, his name be brought up. <laughs> <laughs> Because well, it's he has both the in-laws there and his parents, and you know it's just a house full of people. <laughs> see, some people look at that like a blessing, although you know it's a blessing for the first three days. It is, you yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the first couple of days, you get together, you're having fun, and you're, you're yes. getting to, and then it continues on, and then you're like, oh, why did we ever do this? Yeah, and you're like, okay, who didn't flush the poop in the toilet? Come right. on now, or you know, or who clogged the toilet? Or yes. yeah, why why are all these idiosyncrasies banging up against each other? And and why do we even coexist as a family? This is why we have our own separate homes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Love you all. Get the hell out. <laughs> That's right. Love you all, but you can all stay away until the next holiday. That's right. Uh, and maybe that's why we do have our own separate homes <laughs> to keep ourselves. Even, even tribes that would live together still had separate teepees. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a great saying, Bruiser. That's and that's great logic as well. Uh, so we're going to dip into Christmas murders here and and talk about some of the infamous disappearances and murders that happen. You know, probably the one that's the most famous. And I'll throw I'll throw this out right away is the JonBenet Ramsey disappearance. Yeah, well, we can say it's a murder. She's dead. Well, yeah, she's, of course. Um, but that's that's the one that is, of course, the most famous. In the hours between December 25th and 26th of 1996, JonBenet Ramsey was just six years old at the time and a beauty pageant winner. She went missing from her own home in Boulder, Colorado, uh, the next morning, her parents found a ransom note demanding $118,000 for her return. The Ramseys called the police, who found no evidence of forced entry while searching the house for clues as to how someone kidnapped John Bonet. John Ramsey made a terrible discovery. His daughter had been murdered and her body was abandoned in the basement. John Bonet was found to have died by strangulation and had a skull fracture. Police initially suspected John and Patricia of killing their own child and staging the ransom note to cover up the crime. However, after a very public investigation of the two, they didn't find enough evidence to prove this theory and cleared the Ramseys as suspects. They then focused on another possibility, an intruder who snuck into the house during the night intending to kidnap John Bonet, but accidentally killing her instead, at which point the intruder fled. This approach, too, has proven to be vexing, and the investigation has since stalled. To this day, the case has never been solved. We delved into that uh, a little earlier this year with a, a book that's out there. And I'm sorry the name escapes me, but there's you can search into the podcast into our archives. Um, it was a fascinating book, I know that. And there's more than just a little bit of evidence that suggests that that may be the actual way that John Bonet died. Yeah, I, I think the parents did it. They really, had to. yeah. Well, what? Uh, let me let me play devil's advocate or, or the with brother you. or the brother. Okay, well, why do you, why are you so strongly convinced the family did it? 
So they, she's not, she's missing from the, her room mm-hmm. and they, they call 911. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they search the whole house first? You know what I mean? If, if when my children were living with me, if they weren't in their room, I'd just look around. Hey, you know, where are you? Go looking around. And it wasn't like she was cleverly hidden in the basement. You know, she had, I believe, some stuff piled on top of her. But, like, you could clearly see she was deceased. And then the ransom note. Such a weird, why would you write a ransom note after you already killed her? There's no reason for a ransom note. So I think what happened is they, whoever killed her out of the three, wrote the ransom note hoping the body won't be discovered for a few days later. And then someone discovered the body early. So now it's, okay, everything's in the play. So I, I think the one of them did it. And it, it might, you know, who knows why, who knows the motive or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But and then the investigation afterwards and this the way they changed their stories and, and the way the evidence and it was just a poorly handled case by the police. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it was a family member that did it. Just by where the body was, where it was, there was no sign of forced entry. They didn't find any other DNA on her. You know, um, I believe she didn't have any defensive wounds, you know, so to me, it's somebody that she knew. That, that I can agree with. There's in the book, and I'm trying to remember the details correctly in the book that we were talking about or talking with the author about there was in that broken window. I think it was broken outward, if I oh, remember right. Yes. Yeah. And there was a suitcase that was broken brought up to the window from the inside, almost like they tried to stuff her in that suitcase and then tried to put the suitcase through the window. Right. That failed. Um, so either someone was big enough to put her in that suitcase or they weren't big enough to put her in that suitcase, almost like it might have been the brother. Mm-hmm. And they tried to use that suitcase to step on to get through the window and get her through the window and out of the house. But couldn't and decided to put her in that laundry room or that little furnace room back there. Um, and, and think about it too. If it was the brother, mm-hmm. okay, you're the father, you're the father. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your daughter's murdered by your son. You would do everything you can to protect your son. Cause you've already lost a daughter. You don't want to lose a son to the system. True. Very true. Yeah. So that's why I think they all, all of them are guilty of something. I, That's why with the with that. the Casey yeah. Anthony case, mm-hmm. you know, Casey might not have killed the daughter. Maybe the dad did, but she was involved in hiding the body and getting rid of the body. Mm-hmm. And and that's where it comes down to, or did her dad do it and all that? You know, I mean, there's a whole bunch. We can get, we can get up all these big cases and in, in the conspiracy theories. But if I'm looking at it from, from fresh eyes, the Jamine, it's like, okay, like you said, the broken window, that someone wasn't big enough. When someone goes missing, you don't just look in their room. You look all over the house. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think the ransom note was planted. And then they discovered the body. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, they're not taking the ransom deal, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because in your theory, if they would have gotten her in that suitcase and they would have gotten her out the window and they would have ditched her someplace, the ransom theory is 100% could work. Yeah. But because the body was in the basement with no defensive wounds, I think she knew her attacker. Mm-hmm. Do I think it was on purpose? I don't know. Could have been an accident. We don't know. She could have fallen, hit her head. 
you know? Yeah. And and they try CPR the wrong way and it strangles her. I mean, there's a million ways we can go with this. Very true. But I'm always, from day one, I've always said some, it's one of the family members. Okay. Okay. One of these murders actually happened last year. We go to Florida where an 18-year-old was arrested in a Christmas Day murder of some teens that were found dead at a compound last year. Uh, Jamarcus Simpson was arrested for the shooting deaths of Jeremiah Brown and Trevon Anthony. It happened on Christmas Day of last year. On December 25th, 2022, Palm Bay officers responded to Camillo Circle Southwest around 8.30 p.m. after 911 was called in reference to a deceased body being found on the side of the road. When officers arrived at the scene, they said they found a second body, both of which had died from apparent gunshot wounds. The quote here, according to Palm Bay Police Department, is to the others involved in these murders, we know who you are, and rest assured we will not stop until you are behind bars. You may have forgotten, but we haven't. Simpson was arrested at the St. John's County Jail Facility while he was being held for unrelated charges and is being charged with two counts of first-degree premeditated murder. The case is still an active investigation. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so that's just the most recent Christmas murder to, to have happened. Uh, when did that happen? That happened last year. Okay. Last Christmas. Mm-hmm. As Wham would say, last Christmas. Um, <laughs> by the way, I don't know what this whole Whamified thing is, and I'm staying away from it. I, I've heard about it, but I'm, I have to knock on wood that I haven't heard the song. So you haven't heard the song last Christmas. I've heard it, yeah, but not this okay. year, like since I found out about the competition. Yeah, I'm, I'm staying away from that competition altogether. <laughs> uh, so we continue on with different Christmas murders. We, we talk about Michelle Anderson and the 2007 Carnation murders. Like, uh, well, it's mentioning a, a bunch of different murders here that we will talk about later. Uh, this talks about a family gathering on Christmas as a means to murder. On December 24th of 2007, uh, Anderson and her boyfriend, James McEnroe, killed her parents, her brother, and her sister-in-law, and her brother's two children in Carnation, Washington. Again, oh. a family <laughs> gathering gone awry. <laughs> uh, according to the Seattle Post Intelligencer, the senior deputy prox- prosecutor at Anderson's trial noted that she arrived at her parents' house armed not only with guns, but also the trust of the people inside that home and a hatred for the people inside that home. Anderson had planned the Christmas murders for weeks. She later claimed that she was driven to kill because her brother had allegedly failed to pay back a $40,000 loan. Not only had her parents allegedly taken his side, but they'd also asked her to start paying rent for the mobile home that she had kept on their property. Oh, this will make for an uncomfortable Christmas. I was going to say, can you imagine sitting there and the person that you lent the money to gives a real expensive gift to somebody? You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see how it is. (laughs) Can't make a payment to me, but... You got money for that, but you don't have money to pay the rent. On Christmas Eve, Anderson and McEnroe put their plan into action. They first killed Anderson's parents, then lay in wait for Anderson's brother, sister-in-law, and niece and nephew. When the family of four arrived, Anderson and McEnroe gunned them down. 
A harrowing 911 call placed by Anderson's sister-in-law, Erica, managed to record the family's final moments. According to Seattle Times, or the Seattle Times, Erica can be heard shouting, not the kids, no, before Anderson killed her, her five-year-old daughter, and her three-year-old son. Anderson and McEnroe returned to the property while police were conducting their investigation and prompted the investigators' suspicion when they failed to ask about the family's welfare or even why there were so many police at the house. Anderson later confessed to the murders, and she and McEnroe were both sentenced to life in prison. The story of the Carnation murders, like so many other Christmas crimes on the list, shows that darkness can lurk even on the most joyful days of the year. So there you go. That's never mix fam- uh, money and family. No. It never ends well. It, it never does, that's for sure. I mean, this is an extreme, you know, but still. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Some of these murders, Bruiser, actually get as gruesome as a man who dons a Santa suit and goes on a bloody rampage to a 15-year-old who is tortured for being a witch. Oh, both those are horrible. Yeah. And we'll start off with the brutal murder of Tammy Homolka by the Ken and Barbie killers. Okay. Yep. Okay. I know who they are. You're familiar with this one? Yep. They're the two Canadians. Yep. Uh, Christmas is a time of, for family, of course, as we stated earlier. But Carla Homolka took that to a sick extreme when she agreed to help her fiancé, serial rapist Paul Bernardo, assault and ultimately kill her 15-year-old sister Tammy on December 23rd of 1990. By that point, Bernardo was known to police in Ontario, Canada, as the Scarborough Rapist, though he had not yet been identified. Bernardo had raped or attempted to rape at least 19 women when he had met when he met Carla during his spree and she indulged many of his dark desires. But after the couple got engaged, Bernardo confessed that he was bored with their sex life and disappointed that Carla hadn't been a virgin when they met. So the couple came up with a twisted solution. They decided to rape Carla's younger sister Tammy during the family's 1990 Christmas party. Yeah, they drugged her and everything. This is a horrible tale. Carla, who worked in a veterinary clinic, spiked Tammy's drink with animal anesthetics. When the rest of the family went to sleep, she held a cloth soaked with halothane over Tammy's mouth, and then they took turns raping her with Paul, a brutal sexual assault that was captured on the couple's video camera. Though the couple had not meant to commit a Christmas murder, Tammy choked on her vomit and died. At the hospital, her death was ruled accidental as the result of alcohol poisoning, and Paul and Carla, not considered suspects in her death, went on to rape and kill again. Between 1991 and 93, they raped and and murdered at least two young girls before Carla decided to turn Paul in after he beat her. Uh, The media swiftly dubbed the attractive blonde couple as the Ken and Barbie killers, and their case captivated Canadians. But though Paul was sentenced to life in prison, Carla made a deal with the prosecution and was released in 2005. Yeah, there's some really good documentaries on those, and they filmed every rape and murder. That's That was their nail in the coffin. And the reason she got the plea deal is they couldn't place her, because she was never on video actually committing any of the murders. And it's funny because these one of the documentaries, I think it's on I want to say it's on Peacock, but they find her 
she still lives in Canada and she has kids and they find her. She changed her name and everything, but she's taking her kids to school and they find her and they're like, they want to interview her. And she's like, Nope, that's my past. Yada, yada, yada. It's like, how do you, how does someone that sick and twisted go along? You know, she's just as sick and twisted as he is. That's crazy. That was her own sister. Yeah. That that's insane. That's yeah. insane. Let's talk about the mysterious disappearance of the Sauter children. On Christmas Day of 1945, the Sauter family home in Fayetteville, West Virginia, went up in flames. When the smoke cleared, George and Jenny Sauter uh, were devastated to discover that five of their ten children had apparently been unable to escape the blaze. But as the years passed, the couple became convinced that their missing children hadn't died in the fire at all. Though there is no sign of the missing Sauter children... Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louise, 9, 8-year-old Jenny, and Betty, 5. Investigators also didn't find any of their remains in the house. And as a crematorium worker told Jenny, bones take around two hours to burn into ashes. The solder home was only on fire for 45 minutes before the flames went out. What's more, a number of odd incidences... Uh, had bookended the children's disappearance before the fire. An insurance salesman had told George Sauter that his home would go up in smoke because he'd criticized Benito Mussolini, angering Italian-Americans in the town. Okay. This is 1945. (laughs) Yeah. Mussolini was dead. Was he dead at that point? Yes. Okay. I can tell you that personally because my grandfather was back from World War II at that point. Yeah, in 45, yeah. Actually, yeah, he, came back, he came back in 46, but, but he had already been to Corregidor in the Philippines. I was going to say, so the war is over at this time. Yeah. Uh, during the blaze, George had found his ladder missing and both of his trucks were unable to start. Were the missing solder children victims of a Christmas murder, or did something more complicated happen that night on December 25th of 1945? To date, the answer depends on who you ask. George and Jenny spent the rest of their lives believing that their five children had been kidnapped in retaliation. Indeed, sightings of the solder children uh, were, were reported after the fire. Some locals believe that they saw the children watching the blaze from a passing car, and a woman who owned a truck, a truck stop rather, 50 miles away, claimed that she saw the children with Italian-speaking adults on the day after Christmas. In 1968, Jenny even received a photo of a man who claimed to be Lewis, uh, but efforts to find him went nowhere. George died that year, and Jenny passed away in 1989. Since then, this Christmas mystery has endured. That's insane. I've never heard this. I'm going to do some more research into that. Yeah. That's a pretty cool mystery. Yeah. Sodder. S-O-D-D-E-R. Okay. Yeah. When you go to look it up. Let's talk about the Christmas murder of Zazel Preston. This one is is interesting. Christmas morning, 2011, Zazel Preston's children gathered around the tree in their Anaheim, California home and found their mother slumped on the couch wearing sunglasses. Her husband, William Wallace, allegedly told the children that mommy had gotten drunk and ruined Christmas. <laughs> so now she's just sleeping on the couch with her glasses on. I guess so. In she fact, no attention to your mother. She's <laughs> tamered and passed out. She's ruined Christmas, kids. In fact, Wallace had killed her the night before and then propped her up on the couch to fool the children. Oh, geez. Yeah. 
As the New York Post reported, Wallace and Preston attended a Christmas Eve party together on December 24th before getting into an argument at home. Neighbors heard them shouting, and Wallace allegedly told one of Preston's relatives, we were drinking, and during the argument, I tossed her around a bit. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. The next morning, Wallace brought Preston out of their bedroom and set her upon the couch as Preston's two children opened presents. While she was on the couch, dead. Yes. <sighs> the quote that's, is... That's some sick shit right there. That is. That's real sick. Mommy ruined Christmas. This is the quote. She got drunk and ruined Christmas, he allegedly told them. That is sick. <laughs> Police were called to the house where they found Preston dead and clear evidence that she and Wallace had a violent argument. According to the New York Post, investigators found blood throughout the apartment, holes punched into the walls, and a door that had been yanked off its hinges. Though Wallace claimed that Preston had gotten drunk, tripped, and fallen into a glass table, he was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Preston's mother, Seidel, accused him at his sentencing of not only beating and torturing Preston, but also mentally assassinating her children by pretending that she was still alive. Yeah, the trauma that is inflicted on those kids, I feel so bad for them. That is just, how do you recover from that as a child? You don't. Lots of therapy. No more Christmas time happiness. I guess. You see Mariah Carey, you run the other way. I'm right. <laughs> all I want for Christmas is normality. Yeah, all I want for Christmas is my mom back, not dead on the couch watching me open Christmas presents. <laughs> right, with those dead eyes behind sunglasses. You can never look at your PlayStation the same ever again. That's right. I really want to play the new Madden, but my mom was dead when I opened <laughs> She wouldn't move the joystick. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about Samina Imam, who is the woman murdered on Christmas Eve by her lover. This isn't good either. On Christmas no. Eve of 2014, 34-year-old Samina Imam was excitedly set out to meet her boyfriend, Roger Cooper. He'd promised to leave his long-term partner for her and take her on a Mimazan boutique hotel, or take her to one, to celebrate the holidays. Instead, with the help of his brother, David, Cooper killed her. Jeez. Sounds like a nice guy. Very nice guy. Imam and Cooper met while working at Costco in Coventry, England. Though Cooper had a long-term partner and was involved with a third woman, he and Imam had struck up a relationship. As things got serious, however, she demanded that he leave his long-term partner for her. To her face, Cooper agreed to do so. But behind her back, he began to plot Imam's murder with David. They texted using Star Wars references to conceal their true intentions. And according to Vice, never embarked on a valid, or I'm sorry, never embarked. And according to Vice, even attempted or even embarked on a failed attempt to kill Imam on December 12th of 2014. (laughs) On December 24th of 2005, the brothers' plot finally succeeded. As Vice reports, Cooper picked Imam up after work and told her that they needed to make a quick stop at his brother's before continuing on to the hotel. But at David's house in Leicester, the brothers attacked. They smothered her with chloroform and poisoned her with toxic chemicals like arsenic and mercury. 
when a mom failed to appear for her family's Boxing Day dinner on the day after Christmas, they notified the police. Investigators soon tracked Samina's cell phone data to Lester and to David's house, where they found a bottle of Bellini that Samina had purchased in his fridge. Hauntingly, investigators also found a sign on David's allotment shed that read, Don't wind me up. I'm running out of places to hide the bodies. <laughs> bodies? <laughs> Damn. Both brothers were found guilty of murder and were behind bars by the next Christmas, where they are expected to serve out 30-year sentences. Okay. I want to know what Star Wars emojis or references they're using. Like, are we going to Jar Jar Binks this bitch or what? <laughs> I have no idea. Hey, you got to be Han Solo. Let her be Greedo, okay? Because we know Han shot first. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> and is it the original three movies? The, exactly. The one, two, and three. Is it six, seven, eight? Six, seven, eight. No, I'm sorry. It's four, four, five, six. Four, five, one, six. Two, three, one, two, three. Seven, eight, or nine. seven, eight, nine. Which ones do you reference? Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Bruce Pardo dressed as Santa and massacred his ex-wife's family. Mm, this is sad. Yeah, sad and weird. It, I don't know. I, that, ugh, ugh. On Christmas Eve of 2008, Bruce Pardo donned a Santa Claus suit, got into his rental car, and drove to Covina, California, where his ex-wife Sylvia and her family are having a Christmas party. But Pardo wasn't there to join the festivities. He was there to kill. (laughs) As NBC News reported, Pardo had been prepping the massacre for months. That July, he bought ammunition and started building a fuel-spraying device. You heard that right. Fuel spring. Okay. So, okay. All right. Like napalm. Yeah. In September, he ordered a Santa Claus suit. And in December, just six days after he and Sylvia finalized their divorce, Pardo drove to his ex-wife's parents' house and put his plan into action. When his wife's eight-year-old niece, excited to see Santa, flung open the front door, Pardo shot her in the face. Oh. According to NBC News, he entered the home and massacred Sylvia's entire family, including Sylvia, her parents, her two brothers, and their wives, her sister, and her 17-year-old nephew. That's just... I have People a, need to handle divorce better. Right. I have a feeling I know who it is. One of Sylvia's sisters, who managed to escape Pardo's rampage, said when she called 911, identifying Pardo, she told the operator, they're going through a divorce right now. But Bruce Pardo's massacre didn't go entirely according to plan when the fuel from his spraying device unexpectedly, unexpectedly ignited. He was burned so severely that his Santa suit fused to his skin. Good. Yeah, right? Karma. Yeah. Yeah. Good for that, yes. Yeah. Pardo fled to his brother's empty home where he fatally shot himself. Because he's a coward. Exactly. I wish the cops would have got a hold of him and shot him instead. Or at least he would have had to live with the the burns that he sustained. Yeah, that that would have been more fitting. You know what I mean? Because if it's fused to his body, those aren't simple burns. So they arrest him, they take him to the hospital. That's years of recovery that's right 
Investigators then chillingly discovered that Pardo had planned more than one Christmas murder. Not only had he massacred his ex-wife's family, but he left one of his two rental cars booby-trapped near his brother's home with the other parked outside the home of his ex-wife's divorce attorney. So he, okay. So it was a rampage he went on. Yeah, he was trying to make a clean sweep. Yeah. Yeah. This one's kind of disturbing as well. The Christmas murder of Christy Bamu, or Bamu, uh, the teen accused of being a witch. In 2010, 15-year-old Christy Bamu traveled from Paris to London with four of his siblings to spend the holiday with his older sister, Magalie, and her partner, Eric Bakubi, I believe it is, Bakubi. Uh, but instead of celebrating the holidays with Christy and the others, Magali and Bakubi accused the siblings of being witches. Okay. Bakubi claimed that Christy and the others had brought kindoki, which is the word for witchcraft in their native Democratic Republic of the Congo, into his East London home. He and Magali had focused their attention on Christy in particular and accused them of casting spells. Though Christie denied doing so, Bakubi and Magali subjected the teenager to horrifying torture for days. According to The Guardian, they knocked out his teeth with a heavy bar and hammer, smashed oh. ceramic floor tiles and bottles on his head, and used pliers to twist his ears. Oh, oh I got to show you this picture here. Look at this bruiser. But they had no proof? Oh, goodness. That's some of the damage afterwards. Yeah. Look at that. And they had no proof of the witchcraft. No, no proof of the uh, witchcraft whatsoever. On Christmas Day, Bakubi and Magali uh, put Christy in the bathtub for ritual cleansing. But the teenager was weak from torture and lack of food and water. And his siblings later told investigators that he begged to die before he slipped beneath the water and drowned. Yeah. Siblings. Back to that, it's his siblings. Yeah. It was as if... It was if they were obsessed by witchcraft, Christie's sister Kelly later testified, according to The Guardian. They decided we had come there to kill them. Christie asked for forgiveness. He asked again and again. Magalie did absolutely nothing. She didn't give a damn. She said we deserved it. Wow. Though Bakubi's attorneys argued that he suffered from mental illness issues, a judge found both Bakubi and Magalie guilty for their Christmas murder, Bakubi was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison, and Magali Bamu was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years. It doesn't seem like enough. That's not enough time. No. Did the did the person live? No. Okay. That's murder. Yeah. And not only that, they tortured him for three days. It was torture and then murder. Yeah. Which seems like there should be so much more involved. Yeah, exactly. It should be life. Yeah. Let's talk about Ronald Gene Simmons and how he massacred his entire family at Christmas. This guy just looks. I've I've heard of this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, his his picture they posted in the I forget what show I was watching. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see him being a family annihilator. Yeah. Ronald Gene Simmons planned a special surprise for his family during Christmas time in 1987. 
Then he methodically killed his wife, his children, and his grandchildren at their home in Dover, Arkansas, before embarking on an additional killing spree that targeted strangers and his co-workers. Simmons, whose violence may have been incited by his wife's secret desire to divorce him, started killing on December 22nd when he shot his wife and oldest son and then strangled his three-year-old granddaughter. He lay in wait for four more of his children to come home, then killed them as well by strangling them to death and drowning them in a rain barrel. Yeah. My God. Yeah, and he had it all planned out, too, how to keep them so that they couldn't see the bodies when they came in and stuff like that. This, yeah. this is a sick dude. Four days passed, and then more members of Simmons' family walked straight into his web. On December 26th, he shot and killed his son and daughter-in-law and strangled their 20-month-old son. Then when his daughter Sheila arrived, who Simmons may have molested, he killed her and her two children. But Simmons didn't end his Christmas murders there. On December 28th, Simmons drove to nearby Russellville and continued to kill. He murdered his secretary at a law firm who may have rebuffed his advances, then shot and killed more people at an oil company, a convenience store, and at Woodline Motor Freight, his former workplace. All told, Simmons had killed 16 people. He surrendered to the police without a fight, but never explicitly stated why he decided to kill his family and so many others. Over the course of two trials in 1988 and 1989, Ronald Gene Simmons was found guilty of all 16 murders. He was sentenced to death and died by lethal injection on June 25th, 1990, at the age of 49. And he still didn't say why he did it? No. Like, up to his deathbed? Yep. Never would say why he did it? Nope. Just decided that was it and that was it. Yep. Sick individuals out there, man. Those serial killers like that, just... Sick and twisted. Just decided to snap. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, you know what? Let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about the Lawson family and a few other Christmas murders. And then we've got dumb crime, stupid criminals on the way. Okay. It's a true crime Tuesday. We're talking Christmas murders and we've got dumb crime, stupid criminals right here on an after Christmas edition. We'll call it the Boxing Day and Kwanzaa edition or other holidays because it's also Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> it's, it's a holiday edition of True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm the cruiser. That's the bruiser. It's, it's Timmy, and, Timmy and Bruiser. Here on, on True Crime Tuesday, I, I I have nothing clever. It's it's I'm all holidayed out right here. Bruiser. I was say you're all you're all exhausted from the holidays. I am. I'm I'm kind of Christmased out to be honest with you. Um, we're we're doing the uh, we're doing the after Christmas edition or the Kwanzaa Boxing Day Festivus edition of True Crime Tuesday, and we're talking about Christmas murders in this second part of True Crime Tuesday. We'll start again with the Lawson family. On December 25th of 1929, in Germantown, North Carolina, the Lawson family was having a peaceful Christmas when Charlie Lawson, a sharecropper, had gotten enough money together to take his wife and seven children out to buy new clothes and even had family photos taken. Seems like a pretty... Oh, I'm, I know this one. This is this is twisted. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but right when you said the clothes thing, I remembered exactly... I, I Okay, yep. Okay, I but literally don't, just don't read about it. this this week. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. Nope, when you said the, the clothes is what... what, what 
Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Back, so, back to the story. It seems like a pretty good Christmas considering the Great Depression had begun earlier that same year. But then something no one could have predicted happened, and historians and researchers still don't completely understand it. Charlie decided, for reasons unknown, to kill his entire family. He shot two of his younger daughters as they were leaving, or rather leaving to visit their uncle and aunt, according to the Greensboro News and Record. He then shot his wife, who was sitting on the front porch, went inside and killed his oldest daughter and two younger sons, and finally murdered his infant daughter last. Afterward, he went into the nearby woods and died by suicide. You might have noticed Lawson only killed six of his seven children. For equally mysterious reasons, Charlie sent his oldest son Arthur on an errand right before he began the killing. No motive was ever determined for the killing, nor was his reasons for sparing Arthur. One rumor alleges that Charlie was molesting his oldest daughter, Marie, and she was pregnant. Thus, he killed his family out of shame and guilt. This hasn't been proven, however, and Marie was not noted to be pregnant during her autopsy. No, but there was um, evidence has come out that they had a sexual relationship. She was talking to classmates about it. Uh-huh. And that it was a mutual, like they both wanted the sexual relationship and that she could have, I think it was, she could have been pregnant and that's why he slaughtered the family. And the original idea too, that has come up is Arthur, he was supposed to be, um, the dad jumped the gun and killing himself. He was supposed to wait till Arthur got back, but Arthur stopped on the way and an unplanned stopped and the dad got cold feet <clears throat> and went into the woods and, and shot himself. Oh, okay. Well, there you yeah. go. There you yeah, because Arthur, they looked at him as a suspect when, when before they found the dad's body. Because Arthur's the one, when he showed up to the property, the first thing he saw was the two girls because they were out by the horse barn or the stables or whatever. <clears throat> and, he, and Arthur, um, I'm sorry, the dad didn't hide any of the bodies after he killed them. Oh. He just, left, he just let them be. Huh. So can you imagine that? You come home, there's your two sisters. Then you walk into the on the patio, there's your mom. You know, then you go in another room, there's your, your siblings, and then you go into the last nursery, and there's your youngest sister. Like, yep. he just, that would he be, snapped. That but would, he was on, they actually arrested him for that until they found the father's body. That would be devastating. Yep, and the rumor was that he was, if he had come back an hour earlier, he would have been killed too, but because he made this little pit stop running these errands, that's why he's alive, or lived. Because this is back in the 20s. Yeah, 1929. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Let's uh, talk about Sylvester Diaz Hernandez. Now, housing can be tough to find for a student, especially in the last several years. And while Christmas may be about goodwill toward those around you, sometimes the situation is simply not sustainable. This was a situation 18-year-old Alexis Valdez found himself in on uh, Christmas Day 2013. Valdez had been staying with his aunt and her would staying with his aunt and her boyfriend, Sylvester Diaz Hernandez, who allowed him to live in their apartment as long as he remained in school, worked, and helped out with the bills. That according to CBS Chicago. At some point, though, Valdez quit school and his job and wasn't upholding his part of the bargain any longer. His aunt and her boyfriend decided to ask him to leave. It was bad timing, seeing as it was Christmas, but Valdez seemed to take it extra hard considering what happened next. He confronted his aunt's boyfriend and things quickly turned violent. In his anger, Valdez 
killed Diaz Hernandez with a hammer, mutilated his body by removing all of his limbs, and then decapitated him, also disfiguring his face in the process. Then Bruiser left his head in Valdez's aunt's bed. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a Christmas present for you in the bed there, baby. That's You won't recognize it. That's exactly what he later described that to police as a present. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's sick. Oh. Valdez called the police and told them exactly what happened and fully admitted to the murder when police arrived. They found him covered in blood. Reportedly, Valdez later said he would have killed his aunt, too, had she been home. All just because they evicted him. Yep. Just go get a job, you hippie. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you put that. Just go get a job, you hippie. Let's talk about Emma Carrico and siblings Robert and Fanny Gibbons. One of the most... Such car- a great name, Fanny. It is, yeah. You don't hear that nickname a lot. No, you don't. No, yeah. No. It's like you don't hear a lot of Peggy. You know, I have a cousin named Peggy. No, it's Margaret, right? Is her real name, or is, it, or, is her, or is she just a Peggy? No, she's just a Peggy. Yeah. Okay, because I had an aunt who was Peggy, but her real name was Margaret. I think, is Peg her real name? I'm not sure. I, you know what? I have to ask. I have to ask my relatives. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear that name, though. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. You're a fan. You don't hear that nickname a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, one of the most terrible crimes committed during the Christmas season didn't even happen in the 20th century. In the wee hours of Christmas Eve, 1881, in Ashland, Kentucky, Emma Carrico was staying with her friends and next-door neighbors, Robert and Fanny Gibbons, according to Sword and Scale. All three were young adults, still in their teens, and enjoyed one another's company. When... Uh, or rather with Emma's mom just next door, it seemed like a perfectly safe night away from home. At some point between December 23rd and December 24th, though, something horrible happened. Three men carrying axes burst into the home and savagely murdered the trio. As if that weren't enough, they set the house on fire, too. Emma Carrico's mother saw the flames from next door and called for help. The axe-wielding men had fled, and in the remains of the fire, the townspeople found the charred bodies of Emma and the Gibbons. No definitive motive was ever discovered for the crime, but a man named George Ellis did confess, implicating his two partners, William Neal and Ellis Kraft. All three were locked up in a secure, va- uh, rather, a secure location. There was no vacation to be had uh, <laughs> due to fears that a lynch mob might come and kill them. A year later, Neil and Kraft were sentenced to hang and Ellis to life in prison. But this time, the lynch mob did come for Ellis, and he was killed the night of his conviction. That's that's the 1800s for you right there in a nutshell. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> You slaughter somebody, there's a lynch mob going to come get you and hang you. That's true. That's very true. Let's talk about the story of Gianni Belvedere. Johnny Belvedere was talking to his cousin on the phone, waiting in the parking lot of a Macy's in Mission Valley, California. It was the early hours of Christmas Eve morning in 2013, and Gianni had come to pick up his fiancée. I believe this is Ilana Flint, who worked there. At the time, Macy's was staying open extra late to cater to last-minute shoppers. As Gianni was waiting, a man approached, shot, and killed him, then stole his car, according to NBC San Diego. The man, Carlo Mercado, drove Gianni's car to his own house, even filling it with gas, but soon came back to Macy's for his motorcycle. 
which had broken down nearby. Once there, Mercado encountered Flint and Gianni's brother, Sal, who were searching for him. They saw Gianni's car, but quickly realized it wasn't him driving. Mercado killed them both. Police later arrested Mercado and expected to hear some sort of explanation for the shootings, but there wasn't one. Mercado had never met them. There was a theory. What? Really? Yeah, Mercado had never met them. So it's a random act of violence. Okay. Yep. There was a theory that Gianni's murder was tied to a road rage incident, but this was never confirmed and Mercado wouldn't comment. Authorities ended up declaring the killings a random act of violence. That that's insane. Yeah. Very much so. Let's talk about Harry and Harriet Moore. The early civil rights movement was fraught with danger, speaking up against oppression against black people when there were Far fewer voices echoing yours meant you were always a target like Harry and Harriet Moore. They were a married couple from Florida who counted themselves among the loudest voices at the early 1950s. At home in Mims, Florida, to celebrate Christmas on December 25th of 1951, the Moores didn't expect anything unusual. Of course, that's when the worst things tend to happen. It was not only Christmas, but also it was their 25th wedding anniversary, and they celebrated with their young daughter. But tragedy struck that night when a bomb was placed under the floorboards of their home, and it detonated, killing, oh. yeah, killing both Harry and Harriet, but sparing their daughter, who was in another part of the house, when the bomb exploded. Wow. Yeah. Talk about luck. Who would be so cruel as to commit a terrorist act on Christmas? Well, it was the Ku Klux Klan, of course, <laughs> ho- hoping to silence the Moors. It wasn't even a mystery. Police figured it out pretty quickly, but unfortunately were able to arrest the perpetrators before their deaths. Uh, two of the suspects died of natural causes within a year. Wow with the third committing suicide after being interviewed twice by the FBI. The Klan made a a big mistake, though. Killing the Moors only empowered the civil rights movement, lighting a fire under the cause and spawning numerous protests and nationwide anger toward the murderers. Interesting, huh? Yeah, that's crazy. But it just shows you how powerful they were back then. Yeah, very much so. Which is sad. It's very sad. Very sad indeed. Let's go to Dayton, Ohio for these murders, which are astounding. Christmas Eve 1992 is just the beginning of a multi-day crime spree committed in Dayton, Ohio, which included murder and robbery. Things started relatively small, but quickly spiraled out of control until December 26th of 1992, when the perpetrators were finally caught, according to the Dayton Daily News. It began with 19-year-old Marvelous Keen, his girlfriend, 16-year-old Laura Taylor, and their friend, 20-year-old Heather Matthews. The three planned to rob an associate, Joseph Wilkerson. After breaking into Wilkerson's home and tying him up, Keen and Taylor found a gun in the home and used it to kill a man that they were only there to rob. This was the inciting event that seemed to instill a bloodlust in the three. They added Demarcus Smith, who was only 17 years old, to their group and began joy-killing strangers such as Danita Gillette, uh, who was merely talking on a payphone when the group came across her and killed her in cold blood. 
Taylor and Matthews both called their ex-boyfriends, escalating to attacking people known to them. One was injured when Matthews shot him. The other was executed by Taylor while the man was driving, requiring requiring Taylor to dive out of the moving vehicle before it crashed. The crew ended things by killing two friends who the group thought might implicate them. The four were apprehended the following morning, December 26th. Taylor, Matthews, and Smith are serving life sentences. Keen was executed in 2009. He had no final words. Why? Yeah. That, go play video games. Don't, don't be murdering people. Yeah. What is wrong? Well, you know what I mean? That's, that's why I'm fascinated by true crime is like what in their brain triggered that? You know what I mean? And, and not just one, but four. Four of them. Yeah. No idea. No idea. I think we'll wrap it up with Alan Williamson. Okay. For many of those who are fortunate enough to be on good terms with their neighbors, the holidays are a time to share family and cultural tradition. And let's be honest, who doesn't love to get a good surprise tray of cookies? Yeah, of course. Right. But in 2014, the BBC reported on a shocking escalation between neighbors in Edinburgh, Scotland. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. According to the BBC, 37-year-old Melissa Young approached her neighbor, 47-year-old Alan Williamson, with a Christmas present. Williamson was in her apartment when she offered him a pair of sneakers and a calendar. And when he refused the gift, she would later testify that she had been possessed by a heavenly spirit. It was the Archangel Michael who had entered her with a flash of light, she said. Then she heard voices telling her that she needed to defeat the demon that had taken possession of Williamson. All because he said no to a gift. Okay. Mm-hmm. And while she admitted that she had stabbed her neighbor 29 times, she also claimed abnormality of mind. Ah, okay. Because she was possessed by Michael, who doesn't, who thinks that everyone needs to accept Christmas gifts. Right. Court documents revealed that Young had called emergency services while Williamson was still alive. He was recorded in the background of the call, pleading to be let out of her apartment. During the trial, Young was diagnosed with a mixed personality disorder that included emotionally unstable or borderline narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial traits and schizophrenia. Her defense appealed her sentence of 20 years to life, and the appeal was refused. Well, of course. Yeah. So everyone knows that Archangel Michael doesn't care if you give gifts or not. No. And I don't know what demon would be like, no, don't take that. It's free. Don't take it. Demons love that shit. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's true. So with that, it's time for us to lighten things up a bit. All right. Although we kind of borderline started to do that. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's it's Crayon News Story Time. What happened with this dude, Christ Bearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? Uh, And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. That's right, it's that time again, the time y'all look forward to each and every week. It's that time where people hit each other with cheeseburgers or do what it is they do. It's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. We introduced him once already, but here he is, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. 
Good idea to hit anybody over the holidays with a roll of beef. I thought about it, but then... <sighs> Swiss colony beef log. <laughs> have you ever had one over the holidays? No. No, I haven't. I might have, but I don't... What are they? We got one uh, a couple of years ago. We were driving through Wisconsin. Yeah. And have you ever been to the Swiss colony uh, store? Oh, yeah. Like the, the outlet? The outlet store? Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. So we decided to stop. Um even though we were uh, we were in in uh, uh, what's his name country um, uh, Ed Gein country, it's yes. it's kind of in Ed Gein country, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we were kind of in Ed Gein country, and and we were like, but the Swiss Colony Beef Log Store is there. We call it the Swiss Colony Beef Log Store. So uh, intern Yoko and I were, were like, okay, we got to go to the Swiss Colony Store because evidently her and her father obsessed about the Swiss Colony Store. So okay. she had to see it. So we stopped. <laughs> it was magnificent, wasn't it? <laughs> For her, it was. For me, it was uh, somewhat of a, a store. Yeah, it's a store. Yeah. There's really not anything there. I mean, not anything yeah. useful as far as I, I'm concerned. But she was all uh, she was all happy. She she couldn't uh, she couldn't take it. The happiness was uh, abound. Um, so we uh, we stopped and uh, we decided to get the Swiss Colony beef log. Okay, it was all right. What is this? Is it's, it the raw beef? No, it's uh, it's summer sausage. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but it, it's because we we have a thing in Wisconsin. I don't know if you guys have it in Minnesota. We call them cannibal sandwiches, and it's ground beef oh, wow. with um, some salt, some onions. You put it on rye bread and you eat it raw. Cannibal sausage. Yeah, it's it's only a Wisconsin thing from what I found. Really? No, oh, it's amazing. It's changed your life. It, so you're talking about steak tartare? Kinda, yeah, but it's it's ground. You just get ground beef. You go to their deli, I want some ground beef. You, you put the ground beef, you shape it like a loaf, you put it on a platter, and you put some onions on top of it, put some salt, sea salt on top of it. You take a scoop off, you put it on your rye bread, and you eat it. That's dangerous. It's delicious. I have it every year. I don't care if it's delicious, it's dangerous. <laughs> I mean... I, I've been fine, I haven't eaten it for 45 years, so... <laughs> I mean, essentially, you can die from that, you know? I mean, it... it I, you know, come to think of it, all of our holiday, because we had that, and right next to it was the pickled herring with your crackers. God. You know? And then next to that was our uh, your cheese dip. You so, know, your chili cheese dip. So you can dip your Fritos in your chili cheese dip. So Christmas was just you guys trying to kill each other. <laughs> I guess so. Christmas and New Year's. You had had Christmas and New Year's. Oh, God. So it was a week of you guys trying to kill each other. <laughs> it was delicious. I don't care. Oh, I mean, you could, you know, it's it, it's it's just a small walk to the stove to cook up the hamburger. You know that, right? But it's delicious when you don't cook it up. Oh, oh, oh. it's so good. No, you, you put a little fire on the stove. You can even take it out to the barbecue if you want. No. Put it right there next to your pickled herring, your dill pickles, your olives. Ugh. It's a great appetizer. Ugh. Ugh. You actually like pickled herring? Oh, I love pickled herring. Oh. I thought you would too be a Minnesotan. No. <laughs> no, I have good taste buds. 
<laughs> which I do have to, uh, I don't think I've ever told you off air, but I'm going to tell you on here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Mrs. Bruiser's colleagues, um, they transferred him to Minnesota because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they need help in Minnesota. Yeah, he's from Norway. <laughs> so him going to Minnesota is like no change at all. <laughs> We're going to move you from one Nordic country to a Nordic state. <laughs> yeah. So, Lefsa and Ludafisk and all that other stuff doesn't bother him? Exactly. <laughs> He's like, I'm home, you know. He thought, he thought all of America was that. We were like, nope, nope, that's just Minnesota. <laughs> like, that's yeah. a little part of the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then he'll uh, he'll really love us here. But I, just, I found it humorous that they... He's all excited to go see his exotic America. <laughs> they sent him to. They, 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 they sent him right Basically, back home. they sent him to a U.S. Norway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, congratulations. Welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing that isn't like home is the driving. He'll, he'll absolutely hate our driving. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. We're a bunch of assholes here. That, I, I'm convinced, though, that, that that came from Chicago and Gary, Indiana. Oh, skip over Wisconsin and go straight to Minnesota? Well, no, no, no. The, the, we, we were infiltrated by drivers from Chicago and Gary, Indiana. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you guys are a destination vacation spot, so yeah, I'll well, give you that. Because people from Wisconsin know how to drive. Yes, of course we do. I mean, you know, when, when someone's coming up on the, you know, someone's coming up in the left lane in... Move over. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you're in the left lane, and they're coming faster than you. You move over to the right, right? Yep. Thank you. They don't do that right. here in Minnesota. No. They're self. Oh, trust me, I've, I've done many uh, trips in Minnesota. And it's my fourth least favorite state to drive in. Thank you. Yeah, they're all assholes. Yeah, Illinois number one, yeah. Indiana number two. Yeah, th- there you go. New York. No, I'm sorry, New York number one. Yeah, they're assholes. Yeah. But there you go. So, yeah. See, Bruiser knows. <laughs> You're all a bunch of assholes in Minnesota driving around thinking you know better. You don't. You're all a bunch of assholes. And it doesn't change with the weather either. No, it doesn't. Like out here in North Carolina, if they get just a hint of ice, everything changes. It's like, no, you go up to those Wisconsin, Minnesota, it doesn't change. It could be a blizzard out there. They're still flying by you at 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Exactly. Anywho, dumb crime, stupid criminals. Boy, have we got them lined up today, Bruiser. We're going to start slow. We're going to build. That's what we're doing today on the post-holiday edition of Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. We're going to start out in Florida, of course, because that's how we do. By the way, i got to thank our listeners. Sending them in again, huh? Sending them again. Sending them in in droves. Um, Big time. They came through big time. This, of course, from uh, Tony. Tampa man tries to enter McDill Air Force Base in Tampa with an AR-15, calls himself Captain America. <laughs> yeah, they don't let you into bases. You can come up and say you're Captain America all you want. You're not getting in. <laughs> Captain America had a shield. Yeah, he didn't have a gun. Well, he did in the 40s when he fought. You're right, Hitler. when he fought in World War II. Right. You're right, he did. Right. He fought Red Skull and the Nazis. Yes, he did. Yeah, but then he, he dropped the gun after the war. Yeah. Yeah. He yep. doesn't have it anymore. No. No. No, he, no when, he, when he got frozen, 
Yeah. That was it for the gun. Yeah. They, he lost the gun in the ocean. <laughs> exactly. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, Tampa man attempted to enter McDill Air Force Base with an AR-15 rifle and over 100 rounds of ammo last month. I can't a, believe we have an Air Force Base called McDill. That sounds like something you can get at McDonald's. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Like a huge dill pickle? Yeah. Like they reach into a jar and they fling it at you, <laughs> hitch in the forehead with it? Yeah. Like, there's your McDill. Um they have that new McDonald's restaurant now. It's called, what is it, Cosmics? Cosmics, yeah. which is supposed to be a Starbucks, and it's competition for Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Have you been? I heard it's good. It's supposed to be. Have you been? No, no. They only have it in Chicago right now. I haven't yeah. heard one being opened up around here yet. Yeah, I I haven't. I have, It's too far away for me, but um, yeah, I don't know. If anybody has, if you've if you've been to it and tried the food, uh, email us. We want to know. We want to know how. Yeah, it is. So, very curious. Yeah, Tim at darknessradio.com. Let us know. Um. So yeah, AR-15 rifle, hundred rounds of ammunition last month, according to the criminal complaint filed in the U.S. District Court, Middle District of Florida. Thirty-three-year-old uh, Barouche Roche the second. <laughs> Wait, there's two people with that name? <laughs> yes, not just one, but two. Evidently, yeah. the new Captain America was stopped at the base's Dale Mabry entrance gate on November 3rd. Roche refused to hand over his ID and instead verbally identified himself as Captain America. Not Steve Rogers. No. Just no. Captain America. No, he is Baruch Roche II. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, according to court documents, he told security personnel he worked with the U.S. Special Operations Command, or SOCOM, and had a meeting with a general to provide top-secret information. See, that's where he went wrong. He should have said he was working with S.H.I.E.L.D. That's, that's right. That's who Captain America worked with. See, Come on, man. He should have said, I'm here to talk to Nick Fury about the Avengers Initiative. Yes, and they would have been like, oh, okay, well, you have to leave your AR here, but come on through. Exactly, see? According to the complaint, Roche became argumentative and demanded to be let onto the base or else he would come back every day looking for the officers denying him entry. Ooh, Ooh, that's he, a threat. He threatened. Why would he come back? He has the gun right then and there. <laughs> well, because they have, they have guns too, Bruiser. They ah, have guns okay, too. Yeah. Okay. And tomorrow they might not have guns? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, Roche made several incoherent statements and eventually gave security personnel an old military ID with his real name on it. He was detained due to his suspicious behavior and mental condition, according to court documents. A search of Roche's vehicle turned up a Colt AR-15 rifle and five magazines totaling 125 rounds of ammunition. The Tampa Police Department's behavior... Uh, oh, oh, wow. Uh, the Tampa Police Department's Behavior Health Unit was called out to base to talk to Roche. They didn't even send real cops. <laughs> nope, they sent doctors. Yeah. Uh, he said he suffered from various mental health issues and was on medication. It was then that he broke down Bruiser. <laughs> I'm not Captain America. I'm sorry. I don't have a meeting with a general. I was just trying to have it. Just trying to see what I could do. Officers decided to involuntarily hospitalize him under Florida's Baker Act at that point. Roche was charged with possession of a firearm in a federal facility. On December 13th, the court approved his request to travel to Georgia for a family law case and visitation with his child. He went all soft at that point. He's like, I'm not Captain America. I'm the Pillsbury Doughboy. 
his attorney entered a not guilty plea on his behalf on December 14th. His trial date is February 5th of 2024. So there he's going to prison for a long time. That's right. Uh, I want you to get a good look at this woman right here. Just take a good look at her. Looks like Deanna Prazo. A little bit, yeah. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you... I know I'm getting a little vapid here. What would you rate her? About a 7. About a 7, okay. So a 7 and 8. Okay, yeah. she's a good-looking gal, right? Yeah, just her face is. I mean, we can't see her whole body, so just off the face, yeah. Would you say she's too good-looking for anything? No. Okay. Nobody's too good-looking for anything. Okay, good, good. I'm not we had that story a while ago where a woman tried to get out of a ticket because she was good looking. Right. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to put a statement out there. You tell me if it's true or false. Okay. The headline here is, woman who said she was too good looking to be arrested is jailed for murdering her mother. <laughs> so this is the same girl then, huh? This is the same girl. <laughs> now, you said she was a seven bruiser. Uh, would you say she was too good looking to be arrested for uh, murdering her mother? Uh, no. I mean, we were just talking about earlier on the other half of the program of the Ken and Barbie murders, and she is not as attractive as them. <laughs> See, so there you go. Uh, yeah. if, you're, if you're not hotter than the Ken and Barbie murderers, well, guess what? You're, you're going to jail. Ms. Seven is going up the river. <laughs> Uh, pretty much. A woman who once claimed she was too good looking to be arrested has been jailed for 15 years for murdering her mother in a fight over cigarettes. 15 years, that's it? It was only cigarettes for her. <laughs> <laughs> but you murdered somebody. <laughs> a 29-year-old hand Bustami broke a glass table over her 61-year-old mother, Afaf Husanen. That is an impressive way to kill somebody because glass tables are not light. No, and she put it right over her head. Yeah, yeah, like a chair shot. <laughs> then she stabbed her with the broken shards of glass in a violent attack inside their home that they shared in Las Vegas back in October of 2022. You've so, got to have some insane strength. You do. Yeah. Well, Maybe she, that's why she only got 15 years. She's craving the nicotine. Oh, well, yeah, that's what it'll do to you. Following the attack, Bustami then called 911 and confessed to the dispatcher, I think I killed my mommy. She said mommy? <laughs> yeah, she said mommy. Yeah. I, uh, mm -hmm. I think I screwed up. I killed my mommy. I think I killed my mommy. But I'm attractive, so it's okay. Yeah. But I, I think I'm a 10. So, yeah, yeah, if you would, just wave those charges. We'll, we'll be good. Officers responded to the scene to find Husanen's body inside the home, suffering from multiple stab wounds. She was pronounced dead at the scene. The 29-year-old had fled before officers arrived, but was tracked down by the California Highway Patrol later that day near Barstow, California. She was covered in blood and allegedly confessed to killing her mother after they got into a fight over cigarettes. Earlier this year, Bustami pleaded guilty but mentally ill to a charge of second-degree murder with the use of a deadly weapon. On Tuesday, Clark County District Judge Jacqueline B uh, Bluth sentenced Bustami to 15 years to life in prison. So there's a life there. Okay, good. The brutal slaying came just four months after Bustami hit headlines for another brush with the law where she claimed that she was too good-looking and pretty to be arrested. So, yes, this may be the same woman. Well, go make a prison calendar. There you go.
Oh, I have a worse looking photo of her. Are you ready for this? Okay. In June of 2022, the then 28-year-old was arrested at the Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas for allegedly walking out on a bill at a restaurant on the concourse. I remember that. That's a story we got. Yep. In a police yep. in a police report at the time, authorities said that Bustami left the Chili's restaurant without paying. When officers responded to the scene, they found her being belligerent in the baggage claim area, according to the police report. She then allegedly threatened to spit on the officers and claimed they were trying to rape her because they had never seen anyone as good looking. (laughs) I remember that story. Yeah, if you remember that story. She continued to brand the officers perverts and accuse them of harassing her because she said they had never seen anyone as pretty as her. Bustami was arrested at the scene for misconduct and booked into the Clark County Jail. At the time of the arrest, a warrant was also out for her arrest on a battery charge. She had been due to appear in court on October 27th over the airport arrest. But just one day before the court appearance, she was arrested for her mother's murder. She didn't want to go to court. No. Bustami is required to undergo treatment for mental illness as part of her sentence. She'll be eligible for parole in 2037. Here's the even better picture of her bruiser. She doesn't have she doesn't have a faux head, my friend. She's got a seven head. Yeah, she's got the um she looks like a gray. <laughs> yeah, she does. She looks like an alien gray, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Bustami. In that picture, she looks like a bitch. Yeah, she doesn't look like a Bustami. She looks all busted. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. She looks better with her hair down. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That seven head looks more like a faux head. Yeah. With the hair down. Not saying I'm the best looking guy in the world. I'm not one to be judged. But you've never claimed that while you're being arrested. No, I would never say I'm the best looking man in the world. You can't arrest me. <laughs> I would say. Or while killing your mother. <laughs> yeah, I'd never kill my mother either. Um yeah. But uh, if I were being busted, I'd say, listen, take this broke-ass man to jail. I'd be like, hey, three hots and a cot. All right, let's go. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it, but let's go. I would say this. I would say, listen, ain't nobody taking me in the ass in this jail, that's for sure, because I am the worst-looking man. <clears throat> Just saying. <laughs> I think my light is out on my... Uh, yeah, my light is out on my, on my little button. That's not good. Yeah, I need a new, uh, need a new button light. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. A bank robber passed a note to a teller demanding cash. By the way, his name was on the back of the note. <laughs> I'm so glad we get these guys, like the birth certificate guy and the driver's license guy. Now we got this guy. Yep. I believe we're going to Bloomington, Indiana. Makes sense. A could be Bloomington, Minnesota. They're they're not too bright there either. Uh, Bloomington police identified a man suspected of bank robbery soon after a Tuesday afternoon heist using the note he gave a teller demanding money, which had his name written on the back. God love you. When they located and arrested the man who was also accused of a gas station robbery the same day, they reported finding a sock stuffed with cash in his car. Because he couldn't put it in his pocket. No, it's too easy. 35-year-old transient Byron Gregory Johnson was charged with robbery, intimidation, and theft in connection with the robbery at the IU Credit Union in the 500 block of East 17th Street. Johnson was also charged with robbery and theft related to an early morning robbery of a cashier at the Circle K gas station. That's right, something is afoot at the Circle K in the 4400 block of East 3rd Street. A Bloomington police 
Department news release says officers went to the bank at 3.50 p.m. in response to a panic alarm and learned a man wearing a dark face covering had just robbed a teller, exited the bank, and disappeared. Bank employees said he that the suspect came into the credit union, approached the teller counter, and produced a note. Once the man was given money from the employee's drawer, he fled southbound, the news release said. Investigators saw the name Byron Johnson on the back of the piece of paper handed to the teller. A police record search determined Johnson matched the description that bank employees had provided. Johnson also matched the description a 23-year-old cashier at the Eastside Circle K provided to the man who entered the store just before 1 a.m. on Thursday. He said he had a gun in his pocket and demanded cash. Bureau of Motor Vehicle Records showed Johnson had a black 2011 Chevrolet Equinox, the car of champions. Do you, do you think that when they got that note and his name was on the back, they're like, no way. There's this no way. This can't be. No way. I think the cop picked it up, looked at, looked at the note and said, too easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, this is too easy. There's no way. Oh, I'm sure they've seen it before. Probably. Yeah. Officers at that point located at 920 Wednesday morning in the parking lot of Kinzer Flats found Mr. Johnson inside the vehicle and took him into custody. Uh, while being searched, an officer noted that Johnson dropped a sock and attempted to conceal it with his foot. <laughs> He's like, nothing to see here. This is my sock. Yep. The officer then retrieved the sock and observed that it had a large amount of cash in it. Johnson pleaded guilty to burglary and robbery charges in Monroe County in 2008, was sentenced to six years in prison for one charge, 15 years for another. Since his release in 2016, Johnson's been in and out of state prison in the Monroe County Jail on multiple violations of his terms of release. He hasn't had a great life. Let's just put it that way. There's another guy. Get a job, you hippie. (laughs) God. (laughs) Bruiser, we're going to go to Florida again. I got to ask you this. Have you ever been in a store? And let's say an 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 outdoor store. You didn't let me finish the sentence here. You ever been in an outdoor store and thought, hey, there's fish in that pond. I think I can catch one of those fish. No. (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) Well, one idiot decided to do it. Really? Yeah. Just decided to jump in and catch some fish. Yep, jump in and catch some fish. I don't know if people know this or not, but it's a crime to do so. Yeah, because that's essentially food, right? Like the live tanks or food? Yeah, It's stealing. Yeah, you're stealing. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you can go to a your local pond and fish and have a fishing license. Right. No, this is <laughs> if it's in a in a shopping center, then yeah, they own those fish. Right. A person went fishing in Bass Pro Shops in their oh. tank. Yeah, those those fish you can't fish for. <laughs> right. Well, they decided to try it, and then they fleed with a live tarpon. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a person entered a Bass Pro Shops in Florida, snatched a live tarpon from the store's fish tank, and left. And now authorities are looking for him. He's all excited. Like, look, I got fish. I went to Bass Pro Shop. I tried the fish thing like they have the carnivals, and I won. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. No, it's not. A video shared by the Lee County Sheriff's Office shows a male suspect carrying a large fish through the store with a net while bystanders move out of his way to make room. Can you just imagine how proud he is walking through with that? Yeah. Yep. My fish. I got this. Yep. Don't worry. 
go get yours over there. This is my fish. <laughs> I didn't have to go to the lake to get this. <laughs> I looked right there in that see-through thing, stuck my net in, fish around, boom, got myself a turtle. <laughs> the caption of the video reads, this kid just got it out of the small pond. <laughs> That's not even sport at that point in time. <laughs> no. The live fish flops in the net as he walks out with people recording the event. The incident took place on the evening of December 20th at a Bass Pro Shops in Fort Myers. The suspect entered the snore, uh, snore, the store with a net and caught one of the fish swimming around in the store's signature indoor pond. LCSO is attempting to locate a retail theft suspect, deputies shared on Facebook, but not just your normal retail theft. We guess you could say this one, Willow Fish... God, this is a bad pun will officially catch your eye. Will officially, okay. Will officially get it. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is working with the Lee County Sheriff's Office Animal Cruelty Task Force and detectives to find the person. People online seemed divided over if it was a funny prank or a crime. He will get off, one Facebook user commented. His defense will be, save the tarpon. (laughs) So, it is a crime, folks. You can't walk into... You know, Bass, Bass Pro, Pro Shops, Shops owns those fish. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they don't just magically appear. They bought them, and those are specifically designed tanks. That's right. You can't do that. So, there you go. Another thing you can't do is you just can't crash into a bar with your car. No. No, we've had we've had um, a listener in the um, chat room that hit the bar he frequents. It's happened like three or four times. He said, <laughs> "Yeah, you just can't do that, though." Um, police crash into an LB- LGBT plus bar and then arrest the owner. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah, an LGBT plus bar in St. Louis was crashed into by a police patrol car on Monday. Then the owner of the bar was arrested, according to local uh, reports. The St. Louis police car crashed into bar PM around 1230 a.m. after it allegedly swerved across multiple lanes of traffic and into the building as it was closing up. So it's a police car that crashed into it. Yeah. Chad Morris, also known as Chad Wick, was arrested by police after he allegedly began screaming obscenities after the collision and struck an officer hard in the chest with his hand, causing the officer to lose his balance. That probable cause statement obtained by police, the outlet said. The statement then claims that Mr. Morris tried to flee into a gangway between the bar and another building, closing a gate on the officer as he did. Mr. Morris was arrested and is now facing a charge of felony assault on an officer and a misdemeanor resisting arrest. The co-owner of the bar, James Pence, spoke to the outlet and claimed that it was the police who came into the bar aggressively despite crashing their car into the building moments before. (laughs) I was going to say, what's going to happen to him? He crashed the car into the building. Right. He claimed that Mr. Morris was filming the crash scene when three officers went for him. He raised his arm and they said he hit them, Mr. Pence told the outlet, who was also cuffed at the scene. 20 minutes of bystander video footage captured during the incident assessed that Javad Kazali, Mr. Morris's attorney, allegedly shows a different story to the one police are currently telling, saying that the whole video apparently does not show Mr. Morris striking an officer. This is embarrassing for the police department, Mr. Kazali said to the news site. 
I'm hopeful that the prosecuting attorney's office, when they see the evidence that we have, dismisses these charges and holds the police accountable. They unlawfully handcuffed Mr. Pence, the attorney claimed. They falsely claimed that speaking loudly is against the law, and they use that as a predicate to arrest Mr. Morris. Speaking loudly is against the law. Yep. They're reaching here. They knew they did something wrong, and they're just trying to cover it up. That's what they claim. A police incident report obtained by Riverfront Times allegedly said that the car was driven by 32-year-old probationary officer who had been with the department for less than a year. It stated he believed he was traveling too close to a parked car and attempted to correct itself. Frequent bar PM goers in the local community have already started to repair the front of the building where the police car crashed into. Mr. Morris is currently being held without bond. The Independent has contacted St. Louis Police for comment. That's insane. That is, there's so much about that. He crashed in, guy raises his voice, he arrests him instead of, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I, I guess. We'll find out more and give you more details on the story as it develops. Yeah. So there you go. A Florida man burglarizes a house after a homeowner lets him in for a beer. This is a warning to you, Bruiser. Don't be so friendly with your beer. Oh, I don't. I'm not. No, I don't (laughs) give anybody beer. Especially the yingling. Don't hand out the yingling. Nope. You got to be a special guest for the yingling. That's right. We go to Marion County, Florida, where a Florida man has found himself behind bars after he allegedly burglarized a man's home after he was let inside for a beer. That according to deputies. 38-year-old Bruce Hudson was arrested Thursday and charged with burglary with assault or battery, criminal mischief, aggravated assault with the intent to commit a felony, and larceny grand theft after the incident that unfolded at a home in, I believe it's, is it Umatilla? Last sure. week, according to an arrest affidavit from the Marion County Sheriff's Office, deputies responded to the home on 248th Terrace on Wednesday in reference to a possible burglary. The homeowner said an unknown man was walking in front of his house and asked him if he could have something to drink because he was thirsty. That according to an affidavit. The victim invited the man into his home to grab some water, but the man asked for a beer instead. When the homeowner went back into the kitchen to get the beer, Hudson allegedly went into the man's bedroom and started going through his things. (laughs) The homeowner told Hudson to stop, to which he replied with a swift fist to the nose. Oh! Yikes! The homeowner briefly went outside to alert his neighbors and ask for help. That's when Hudson allegedly grabbed a mallet-style hammer and ripped a hole into the wall. Okay. He also shattered a glass end table, according to the affidavit. Hudson allegedly threatened the homeowner with the hammer when he was confronted, but ultimately ran out the back door with a bag and several other items. Among the items Hudson allegedly snatched were the homeowner's immigration papers, passport, laptop, iPad, three watches, and a gold ring. Deputies found the bag in the front yard. The rest of the items and Hudson were found at a neighbor and friend's house who contacted the sheriff's office. Deputies then caught up with Hudson, who placed the blame on the homeowner for starting the fight. (laughs) He also denied taking anything from the house. In a oh, sense, okay. Yeah, I guess he's not guilty on anything. Yeah, I just had a beer. Yeah, well, he, I had. he just wanted a beer. In a separate encounter with deputies, 
after they had found the homeowner's stolen items, Hudson changed his statement and said he was set up by his friend Frankie. <laughs> and who's Frankie? It's <laughs> a good question. Even though the victim invited Hudson into the residence to give him a glass of water, he did not give Hudson permission to other parts of the residence, including his bedroom. Deputy said in the affidavit, once the victim confronted Hudson in the bedroom and told him to stop and leave, he withdrew his consent to be within the residence. Hudson was transported to the Marion County Jail, where he remains in custody on $40,000 bond. Oh, wow. That's a good size bond. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Talk about giving an inch, taking a mile. Right. <laughs> you want to come for a beer? Sure. And I'm going to take this, and I'm going to take this, and, and I'm going to take this, I got and your, I'm going to take this. I got you. Right in the nose. Got your laptop. I got your ID. I got your passport. I got your iPad. I got your. Oh, by the way, I'm going to take after you with a hammer. That's it's all your fault. That's <laughs> you little, offered me the beer. That's a little. That's a little extreme. Come on, Frankie. Let's go. Who the hell's Frankie? <laughs> you. Come on, Frankie. Come on. <laughs> Who's Frankie? My imaginary friend. <laughs> he gave me He's permission. He's the one set all up. He gave me permission to do everything. He's right there. Say hi to Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi, Frankie. Boy, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> that sounds like a typical day in the life over here in my house. Um... Let's you just move. randomly letting people come in and have your beer yeah, and yeah, they, take your immigration papers? Yeah, and they swing <laughs> hammers at me. And that, it's just a day in the life here at the dentist uh, compound. Yeah, That's why I don't tell people where I live, because that sort of shit happens all the time. Uh, let's move on. We're going to Akron, Ohio, where a man's arrested after robbing an Akron gas station armed with a machete. A, mach a machete. A machete. Yeah. A man has been arrested after robbing an Akron gas station while armed with a machete on Monday. Because it rhymes nicely. <laughs> According to a press release from the Akron Police Department, officers responded to the Circle K on the 1800 block of Triplet Boulevard just before 9.50 a.m. after a robbery was reported. Then right afterwards, there's a headline about Celine Dion losing uh, or. uh Losing control of her muscles amid a battle for stiff person syndrome. I don't know why. It just is there. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, a machete might help with that. Yeah. Well, it helps loosen up the muscles, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's terrible. Or then it's removed a stick from her ass. Oh, come on now. She's a national treasure. She is. You're right. Shame on I her. like Celine, but a little stuck up. Won't talk in public. Well, it's probably because she can't move her mouth. Uh, according to the store clerk at the scene, a man wearing a mask came into the store and demanded money while holding a machete. That's a good way to get money. Well, yeah, or, <clears throat> excuse me, or cashier just says no and takes a step back because <laughs> there's a counter now between you and the machete. <laughs> That's true. Then hits the button under the counter and says, yeah, I got 10 seconds. Yeah, like, here you go. Go ahead. Yeah. The suspect was given cash and fled the scene. I told you, good way to get money. I, I guess. Yeah. Again, I would just take a step back two feet, push the button, and go, now what are you going to do? <laughs> There's a counter between me and you. <laughs> and then I grab the broom. Oh. Just keep poking him with the broom. Keep him brooms like the way. They can't hit you then. Yeah, but when he whittles down your broom to nothing. <laughs> By then, hopefully the police are there. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably he just starts whittling. <laughs> he just grabs the end of it. It's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I made you something. <laughs> While searching the area, officers found the suspect's clothing and other evidence of the crime on the 600 block of Baldwin Avenue. So he's butt naked now. <laughs> yes, butt naked with a machete running around. Oh, and the thing he made out of the broom handle. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, the suspect later identified as 23-year-old Justin Rogers was detained and taken to the police station for questioning. Rogers was charged with aggravated robbery and booked into the Summit County Jail, according to the release. No injuries were reported as a result of the armed robbery, but there was plenty of nice art made out of the machete <laughs> at the gas station. So there you go. Um. Oh, here we go. Lots of neat stuff going down at the Wawa store. Oh, I love Wawa. Yeah, St. Petersburg. Big fan of Wawa. St. Peter's, Petersburg, Florida is where we're going. 32-year-old man is busted for alleged poultry petting. Or, I'm sorry, pelting, not petting, pelting. Oh, this, wait, do they have live chickens at Wawa? <laughs> yes, you can now pet the poultry at Wawa. <laughs> I, I hate to ask, hey, can I pet the poultry? And then some 65-year-old woman comes out and goes, hi, my name's poultry. Like, oh, okay, okay. Hey, can I, can I, can I choke your chicken? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My eyes crossed when I saw pelting and pe pelting, petting, it all looked the same. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, a man was busted for allegedly poultry pelting at a Wawa store. Not petting. That would be fun. I'm curious about this, because where did he get the poultry? It's not out in the displays. Oh, but we'll get there. Oh, I know, I know. I know. It's it's the journey. Because if I'm paying for a chicken sandwich, I don't want to waste it by throwing it at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets fun, Bruiser. Claiming that his food order was not properly cooked... Uh, he did. Uh, <laughs> An aggrieved customer struck a Wawa worker with a piece of chicken covered in a spicy Nashville sauce that got into the victim's <laughs> eye. That's a spicy chicken. That sounds tasty, actually. Covered in I'm a not, spicy Nashville sauce that yeah, got I'm into his eye. I'm not a spicy guy, but okay. I'm not either, but just the way it was described sounded kind yeah, of... Yeah, sounds delicious. Sound good. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, cops who busted the alleged poultry pelter went on to say the 1.20 a.m. confrontation, oh, of course, it was during the drunken oh, yeah. hour, yeah, happened at a Wawa convenience store in the St. Petersburg, Florida area. It resulted in the arrest of 32-year-old Daniel Palomino. This is what a guy who throws his chicken around looks like, Bruce. <laughs> he definitely left the bar. He definitely just got out of the bar. Uh, Daniel Palomino, by the way, is 32 years old and should probably keep his chicken to himself. Yeah. Palomino, police say, became upset because he believed that the chicken was not cooked completely. He then confronted the worker and responded by throwing the chicken back at the victim. Hey, uh, dude, you know it's pre-cooked chicken. <laughs> I just have yeah. to heat it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, the chicken was covered in a spicy Nashville sauce that got into the victim's eye. The Wawa employee did not suffer bodily harm. Except for a little sting in the old ocular senses. Palomino, who lives about a mile away from the Wawa, was under the influence of alcohol. Surprise! Uh, when confronted <laughs> by sheriff's deputies, he was booked into the county jail, from which he was released on Sunday afternoon upon posting a $500 bond. 
the chicken was not seized as evidence, if you were curious. <laughs> no, it was thrown away. <laughs> no, though police did confiscate a baseball bat from Palomino, whose rap sheet includes convictions for cocaine possession, surprise, uh, aggravated assault, theft, possession of drug paraphernalia, criminal mischief, marijuana possession, and probation violation. My guess is he hadn't smoked any of the wacky weed because he yeah, was, he was little, just drinking at the bar. That's all he was doing. Yeah, he didn't get the rest of it. He was a little too fired up while he was firing poultry all over the restaurant. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Gotta ask you, Bruiser, what is the strangest bodily function you think you could be arrested for? Oh, I think farting in public. If you get to smell, like I've heard of planes being turned around and landing because the smell is so bad. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, that would probably be the most offensive uh, bodily function you could be arrested for. This man was arrested. Or um, masturbating in public. Well, That's a bodily function, yeah, right? That, yeah, that is true. This man was battered for belching. And okay. Was, and okay. this man was arrested for that. Uh, the victim burped inside a market and got walloped by an upset suspect. Why would you get so upset about a, bur a burp? I know. A fart would be worse because it stinks, but a belch, it's said and gone. Yeah. We're going to North Carolina. Woohoo! Where evidently they still have manners. <laughs> they do. There's a lot of good manners down here. That's right. A North Carolina man was assaulted for burping, according to a police report. Uh, cops say... Is it Noe Perez, 43 years old, was waiting for an order he placed on Wednesday evening at a meat market in High Point when he belched? I feel like I feel one coming on now that I read that. Weird. Uh, the burping upset a male suspect who was inside the Hispanic meat market at the time, according to Officer Jerry. Jerry True. See, now I feel like I have to belch now that I'm reading this. <laughs> when Perez subsequently exited the business with a female companion, the suspect was outside with three other Hispanic males. The suspect then punched Perez in the face and kicked him in the hand. The assailant and his associates then got into a car and left the scene. Perez is a self-employed self construction worker who lives in nearby Ashboro, uh, suffered a contusion over his left eye, but declined a police offer of medical assistance. He can shrug that stuff off. It's just a little. Did they say why the guy waited in the parking lot with essentially a gang? <laughs> I don't know. That's like how weird. bad was this burp? I mean, it's. I mean, even if you open up and let it go for three seconds, it's not that bad. Yeah, I, I just hey, good job. Especially if he, hopefully he says excuse me when he's done. Yeah, I, I would just say hey, you feel better? Yeah, like, yeah. good for you. Did you get any on you? I mean, that's <laughs> you know. The suspect remains at large, and the matter, categorized as a misdemeanor assault, remains open, according to the High Point Police Department records. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it is, I want to know why. I want to hear the, the, the assailant's side. Right, right. Because, I mean, it's just not, it's not that serious. No. It's a belt. Like I said, a fart would have been worse. That lingers. Right, right. Um... Bruiser, we have a very serious gang-related crime out there in Texas, and we need to report on it ASAP. Well, that's not good. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to be serious. Okay. Uh, folks, this uh, also involves animals, so I need you to steal yourselves. I need you to be... I, I need you to put a, a layer of steel around your hearts because this does involve some sensitive material. 
that's not good police are warning of bunnies that have gone on a rampant crime spree in texas and they're chewing up christmas lights everywhere there was a movie about this wasn't there yes. <laughs> the bunnies are like scientifically experimented on and grow large look at this hardened criminal bruiser oh my oh, god look at how cute he is he's a thug oh he's so adorable he can chew whatever he wants that uh, i haven't seen barnum bunny in the backyard lately he is a cutie isn't he he's just a cute one look at him oh he's so cute yeah, I haven't seen. Is he, is he the ringleader? I think he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's the ringleader. Police in Texas made a public service announcement. Yes, they don't have anything to do about native cottontail rabbits. Oh, there's Peter Cottontail. He's up and down the bunny trail. Uh, what is it, going on that there's no crime? <laughs> Where they have to worry about rabbits? I don't know. We're going. To, this is either Hutto or Hudo. I don't know. Texas. I think it's Hutto, <laughs> Texas, that they're making this big public service announcement. Uh, that they're, these cottontail rabbits have been chewing through Christmas lights. The only danger here is that the bunnies are getting injured. I was going to say, the bunnies can get electrocuted. Yeah. We need to protect the bunnies. Yeah. The they're Huddle, not the villains in this. No, they're just doing what comes natural. Uh, the Huddle Police Department said the critters are normally timid and docile. That's right. Just put a dish of food out for them. But around the holidays, they go on rampant crime sprees. Come on. Look at the picture that the Huddle Police Department put out. Look at that little bunny. Yeah, he's just living his best bunny life. He is. He's just, he's hanging out, looking for food. Yeah. Just put a little dish of sunflower seeds out for him. Black oil sunflower seeds. They love them. That's what uh, Barnum Bunny eats out here in the yard. See, you could, you could be saving all Texas right now. I could, yeah. You just, you take a little creme brulee dish, you put some... Black oil sunflower seeds out for them. They won't chew your Christmas lights. There you go. Yeah. Um, it says here, they commit seemingly random acts of vandalism while besmirching the reputation of our local youth, the department said in a Facebook post. <laughs> if you have light strand decorations at or near ground level, the destructive and vindictive hair will 100% bite clean through the strand, usually at the least convenient spot. They are doing their best to villainize these bunnies. <laughs> yeah, they are. I tell you what. Some neighbors seem to blame local kids, assuming they are pulling an inconvenient prank. Well, don't blame the kids. It's not Why the kids. It, yeah, it, you clearly can see the bunnies are doing it. Just figure out a way to get the bunnies out. You just gave them away to get the bunnies away from the lights. The department also added, if your light strands look like they have been clean cut through, the primary suspect is and generally will look a lot more like Bugs Bunny than your neighborhood kids. It's bunny discrimination. Yes, it is. That's all it is. I have another uh, animal story here for you. You have two more stories here on Dumb Crying Stupid Criminals today. Okay. Um, your last one is not safe for work. Well, of course. So, of course. We're gonna the boobies and beer section. That's right. Uh, well, it might be a little more boobies and beer today. Well, I like myself some boobies and beer. That's right. Uh, this next one also has to do with an animal and maybe some drugs. Uh, <laughs> Alabama, Are we going to do cocaine bear? <laughs> oh, better than that. An Alabama man with a parrot is arrested in Florida. Of course, we're going back to Florida. After police say he was high on mushrooms. 
Okay. Imagine, imagine, if you will, Alabama man paired on his shoulder, high on the shrooms. <laughs> and he thinks he's Jack Sparrow. That's right. An Alabama man told police he was high on mushrooms after they struggled to get him and a parrot out of his car during a <laughs> trespassing call. This oh, is, yes. This is why we love Florida. According to a release by Washington County Sheriff's Office, the man later identified as a 38-year-old from Elba, Alabama, probably way too old to be strung out on mushrooms with a parrot on his shoulder. I was going to say, I, yeah, there's a certain age where you just stop doing mushrooms. Yeah. He was pounding on the front door of a home in the Florida Panhandle County when ignored when he ignored the homeowner's pleas for him to leave. <laughs> You don't understand. I have a parrot. He's <laughs> Come like, see my parrot. Hello. Come talk to him. He needs a cracker. He won't <laughs> shut up. You he got won't any crackers? shut up. You got any crackers? I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. I need some crackers. <laughs> His name's Polly and he wants a cracker, man. I don't have anything for him. Do you have anything in there? Upon arrival, police found the man in a vehicle with a blank look on his face and a parrot sitting on his huh? shoulder. <laughs> what parrot? Wait, you can see that parrot too? Holy shit. <laughs> I thought he was just in my imagination, man. Dude, don't move. I think there's a parrot on my shoulder. <laughs> I want to ask that guy over there, but he went into his door. <laughs> We're all trying not to look at him. Don't look at him in the eye, man. <laughs> He's saying he wants a cracker. I don't know if he wants an actual cracker or he's referring to me. <laughs> just, I don't know. Is he really talking to me or is it just my imagination? <laughs> Officers also said they saw several weapons in the vehicle with him. Those are the parrots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, this fucking parrot's trying to shoot me, man. <laughs> I'm being held hostage by this fucking parrot. Look at it. He's got a knife. He's got a gun. He won't leave my shoulder. Uh, sir, the parrot doesn't have opposable thumbs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Whew. That Glad was I'm close. Jack <laughs> uh, when the officers asked him to leave, he became unruly, arguing and fighting the officers. Uh, not a good idea. No. The quote They he, will always win. The quote here is he was just high and his drug of choice was mushrooms. <laughs> Okay. After officers used a taser and detained him, go cops. Uh, the man said there was nothing wrong with him. He was just high on mushrooms. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. It's really high on mushrooms. I'm having a great trip. This whole trip, I think there's a parrot in my shoulder. Wait, that's a real parrot? <laughs> <laughs> man, there ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm just sitting here. I don't want to have a mushroom, man. <laughs> officers also found several illegal items in the vehicle, the release no. states. Get out of here. You're just dreaming. The man was charged with two counts of possession of a controlled substance, two counts of battery on an emergency official, one count of possession of drug paraphernalia, one count of resisting an officer with violence, and one count of trespassing. Court records show he has filed for a public defender, but contact information was not immediately available. His arraignment is scheduled for January 8th of 2024, and he's being held at a jail in Washington County as of Tuesday morning. The parrot, by the way, seemingly uninjured, was transported in a pet carrier to animal control. Good. I was going to say, what happened to the pet? The parrot. The parrot, by the way, was quoted as saying, somebody needs counseling. 
<laughs> Somebody needs a therapist. <laughs> Just saying. And that's the name of that too. Dude, there's a parrot on my shoulder, man. <laughs> All right, somebody doesn't share his mushrooms. Somebody Can you imagine a parrot on mushrooms? Ooh. Oh, that'd be fun. Ah, why am I blue? Why am I blue? <laughs> oh, I'm sprouting hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our next story is not safe for work. Okay. So we're going to give you a little bit of time to turn down your listening device. We know you're not at work. You're probably on vacation or called in sick. It is yeah. Festivus for the rest of us. Yes, it is. So, by the way, if you're not into your challenges or your, your, your uh, what is it, your challenges of strength? Yes. Your feats of strength by now? Feats of strength. Yes. Or, or not, uh, you haven't broken out the Festivus pole by now. You're sorely lacking. You're, you're well into the day now of Festivus. Uh, happy Boxing Day to our friends in Canada in the UK. And if uh, you're celebrating Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa. So I think we've covered it. Uh, we've given you ample time now to... Lots of time. Yeah, turn down your listening device or uh, put on your, your earbuds for this next story. A man is busted in a dress and holding a burglar's tool. By the way, this tool <laughs> is not sold at a local hardware store. I was say, what kind of burglars tool are we talking about? Well, let's get to it, and I'll tell you. We're going to Florida. <laughs> Surprise. A man wearing a dress and carrying a dildo allegedly, I can't even say it, allegedly tried to burglarize the Florida residence of a 69-year-old woman. All right, going to pick this lock. Oh, come on. Oh, I got the wrong size. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe I'll break the window with it. Dunk, dunk. Ah, damn it. How come this key won't fit in this lock? <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been too said I've been too large for the hole. Uh, <laughs> now, according to police, they also charged this suspect with stalking as well. 40-year-old Marshall Jones first showed up outside the victim's St. Petersburg residence last Friday at around 1.30 a.m. He was spotting, uh, spotted on video trying to... Quote, unquote, open the door, if you will, Bruiser. Here's what this guy looks like. Oh, hey. Hey, now. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> I can see him in a dress with a dildo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you can. <laughs> uh, at the time, according to the arrest affidavit, Jones was wearing a dress and had what appeared to be an erect penis in his hand at waist level. <laughs> Not his erect penis. No, no, no. After trying to enter the home, Jones is then seen pressing the erect penis against the door before walking away. Maybe it was his. I got this. Come here. This is for you. Look, you're 61. <laughs> trying to help you out. She's 69. 69. You're 69. Yeah. It's been a while. It's not the real thing. Come on. Come get it. <laughs> She's not a puppy. <laughs> He's not like... Here, girl. And look, I'm harmless. I'm in a dress. Yeah. I'm harmless. <laughs> he uses reverse psychology. <laughs> <sighs> what 
When police later busted Jones, he reportedly copped to the attempted burglary on December 15th and returning Tuesday to the home in the city's historic Roser Park neighborhood. During questioning, cops report Jones said he was holding a dildo which had slipped out when he was recorded by a surveillance camera last week. Whoa, 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 whoa. slipped out? <laughs> where, where, <laughs> <laughs> Where was this hiding? <laughs> How many syllables was that? <laughs> Just saying. Men don't have a lot of holes to hide that thing in. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it is unclear from where the sex toy, quote unquote, slipped out. <laughs> well, I can give you four orifices out of man. <laughs> and you'd see it coming out of his nostrils, his mouth, or his ear holes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Very true. Jones claimed that he was outside the home yesterday to check on the female occupant since he claimed to have seen someone shot at the residence two weeks earlier. There's no record, by the way, the purported shooting. <laughs> it's hard to think straight with a dildo up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Jones, who also uses the surname Blair, was arrested for attempted burglary, a felony, and stalking and resisting an officer without violence, both misdemeanors. He's locked up in lieu of how much bond, Bruiser? $20,000. Ah, go lower. $1,500. Go higher. Three grand. How much? Three grand. $10,150. 10, okay, right. Court records show that Jones, who lives in St. Petersburg, has a lengthy rap sheet, go figure, that includes four separate convictions for cocaine possession. No, really, that face I showed you uses cocaine. He does cocaine? Come on. He looked like the the Mighty Ducks goalie when he was real bad into his addiction. <laughs> as well as trespassing, obstruction, and marijuana possession convictions. Jones was, uh, Jones was arrested earlier this year after a homeowner told police that Jones and another man were casing his residence. Jones was subsequently arrested for possession of burglary tools as well as possession of cocaine and drug paraphernalia. He pleaded guilty in June to felony coke charge and was sentenced to 90 days in jail. So a dildo can be a burglary tool, huh? Yeah, I guess so. You can definitely <laughs> break that lock with a cock, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he looks like Goldberg. When Goldberg, the guy from Mighty Ducks, was really heavily into his addiction. Yeah. Well, there you go. He looks surprised, too. Like, you're never going to know where it fell out of me. <laughs> He's got that inquisitive look like, you want to know, don't you? Huh? No, no. 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 And you definitely don't want to handle it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's definitely staying in a plastic evidence bag. <laughs> <laughs> that's not coming out. He's not without a bleach wipe. <laughs> That's for sure. You know what they didn't find on him? What's Some hand that? sanitizer. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. And that'll do it for Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals for today. <laughs> Bruiser, what you got going on? Just enjoying the holidays. We got the New Year's coming up. That's so, right. Uh, That's right. We're, yeah. we're staying indoors. We're not the young spry chickens we were no um, no just gonna make sure the check it on my kids make sure that they have a safe and happy new year's i know they're gonna be drinking and stuff but dear old dad's gotta you know if you need a ride or whatever we'll figure it out yeah don't drive drunk nobody out there please don't drive drunk and if you are out there and you're partying give it from uh, old uncle beer here 
tip your bartenders and your servers. They're busting their ass. And New Year's is that's a 12 to 24 hour shift for them. Mm-hmm. I always made sure that right when I got to a bar, I'd give them a hefty tip. And then before leaving, I would tip what I could just to make sure they knew that yeah. they were appreciated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is a big week for, for servers and, and bar bar keeps and, and, and uh, don't drink and drive. If you, even if you had a few Ubers there, I know a lot of bus lines are free. Yeah. You know, hell, call me, I'll get you a ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just don't, yeah. we don't want to lose anybody, yep. you know, and we don't want, and, and, and not just people that are drinking and driving, but, you know, you hit somebody, you kill an innocent person, your life's over too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, stay safe out there, not just driving drunk, but driving impaired as well. So, yes. um, yeah, just uh, everybody stay safe this week. Um Everybody secure your dildos. Yes, yes. Make sure you keep them uh, tucked and strapped and don't pull them out on innocent old women. And please don't pick the lock of anybody's home. Um, There's definitely a $10,000 bond involved. We have no training this week because of the holidays. But if you want to be a professional wrestler, amlwrestling.com slash training. Come train with me. And then January 20th is a big one. War yeah. Games 3 in Winston-Salem there on the Title Match Network. There you go. That's right. Uh, we have a link in the events section of uh, darknessradioshow.com so that you can subscribe to t- Title Match Network and see uh, War Games on AML. Uh, and I am wrestling on the show. I can't tell you what I'm doing yet, but oh. I am wrestling on that show. So oh. come watch me. There you go. There you go. So, all right. So, there. Tune in and, and watch uh, Bruiser on AML Wrestling on the 20th. Uh, I'm up at uh, KNSI Radio this weekend. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Making that Skrilla. Gathering that cake. <laughs> Telling you about the weather forecast and sports and all that other happy malarkey. Um, so, yeah, that's happening this weekend. So, uh and then this week, we've got uh, yet uh, tomorrow, we have Supernatural News. And uh, Thursday, Bill Bean is on the program. Okay. And uh, interesting program. Uh, Bill is, uh, this week we're t- is a lighter week, but still a very interesting week. Uh, we've got a uh, full slate of Supernatural News tomorrow. And then I wanted to do a little bit more of an uplifting week this week, being it's it's a holiday week. Uh, we're going to talk to Bill. Not only are we talking to him about his story, you know, Bill came from a, a background of abuse Ooh. and uh, and a hard background, but got out of that abusive and oppressive background. Not only was he, he not only did he come from a background of abuse, uh, parental abuse, but then in demonic abuse. Oh, Okay. But then came out of that and went to serve others and helped with demonology and has since not only been helping people on the demonology front, but has had a lot of UFO sightings, especially recently. Okay. So we'll talk to him on the back half of the program about his alien sightings, UFO sightings. And he has some interesting theories about what's going on with all these UFO sightings lately. Uh, So we'll talk to him about that in the second half of the program. 
Uh, it's a good week, folks. It's a real good week this week. And then next week, anniversary week. All right. Yeah. Ooh. So, and, and we're at 18 years already, 18 years into this thing. All right. Uh, starting season 19. So, uh, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff on the way. So, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah, lots of good stuff. So, that'll do it for today's program. Again, Supernatural News tomorrow and Bill Bean on Thursday. So, for Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us today for True Crime Tuesday on the best in True Crime Podcast. Thank you so much, folks. We'll see you tomorrow for Supernatural News and Darkness Radio.